Good to be with you all. I see some uh, faces that I haven't seen since the Hoggard days. Met a few people. We were in the Hoggard cafeteria, and uh, I talked to somebody before the service, and they said, man, this is great. We're not in the cafeteria anymore. <laughs> Welcome. Good morning. We are in Exodus 3. If you want to flip there, that's in the very beginning of your Bible. I'm a paper Bible fan. I saw five or six paper Bibles come in this morning. I'm a paper Bible fan because this is the Word of God. And who is the Word of God? Jesus, the person of Jesus. He said in John 1, I, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So bring your Bible. If you're scrolling, no condemnation. Open your phone and scroll away. We're in Exodus 3. Um, and I am going to cross-reference, we're actually going to start off in 1 Corinthians 1. So Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, that's the beginning of your Bible. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm going to read two or three verses, because I think that'll jump us into this beautifully. Um, so 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 through 29. Here we go. Let's see if I can find it. All right. But God chose the foolish things of the world... To shame the wise. But God chose the what? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things. God chose the what? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things. The what? of this world, and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him, King Jesus. Come on! So, does anybody feel weak? Does anybody feel lonely, lowly this morning? Maybe a little bit? Does anyone feel um, not wise or not on top of their game this morning? Maybe? I got good news for you. You're in a good spot. You're in a good spot. So we're looking at the life of Moses, and we're picking up in Exodus 3. Um, let's do a, a short recap for those of you who haven't been here. Um, Jesus, before he went to Jerusalem to die on a little hill called Calvary, before he died, um, he was transfigured on a mountain. And when he was transfigured, two guys showed up. Anybody remember who? Moses and Elijah, that's right. And Jesus conferred primarily with who? Anybody remember? Moses, that's right. So Jesus and Moses are hanging out, and they're talking about Jesus' departure is the word in the New Testament. And we actually um, use that as kind of a springboard into looking at the Old Testament because departure in Greek is? Exodus. And we're studying the book of? Uh, okay, so now Moses became the original sort of Jesus prototype. Yeah? So Moses uh, was called by God, and he took the people from slavery in Egypt um, through a desert journey, kind of a land sort of between, and then he led them in. Ultimately, he wasn't able to go because of some uh, mistakes, some sin in his life, which we'll look at later, um, but he led them into the promised land. So, so Jesus um, became uh, really the second Moses, leading people, leading us. He became, um, he, he was before Moses, um, but he, he followed Moses in terms of his birth, but he follows Moses because more like the second Moses, or Romans would even call him the second Adam. He fulfills all things, leading us from a place where we are enslaved um, through desert lands into a promised land. Okay? All right, so that's why we're looking at Exodus. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pick up on Exodus 3. Now, last week, um, we just to do a short recap, we talked about uh, Moses, and he spent 40 years thinking he was a? Somebody. somebody, that's right. Then he spent 40 years learning that he was a? Nobody. And then he spent the last 40 years of his life learning that God uh, could do something absolutely remarkable with a nobody. So we're going to look today at Moses' response um, when God calls him. So a couple of things as we tee this thing up. Moses has been tending sheep um, in the wilderness for 40 years. Four decades. Four decades. Something I think that's really important is Moses doesn't even have his own sheep. He's tending somebody else's flock. He's hanging out in the wilderness so when we left this uh, beautiful little story, Moses was the prince of Egypt. Moses was thinking he was great. Moses was sort of God's gift to all humankind in his own brain. Moses was the one who was called. He knew, I think, in, in all honesty, that he was called by God and commissioned by God to actually deliver people from the Egyptians, but he tried to do it in his own steam and his own strength, and it ended in absolute despair. So let's pick up here. And uh, we'll start reading in Exodus 3, and we're going to look at how God shows the lonely things and the weak things and the despised things to confound the wise. So this is Moses the ordinary, and we're going to watch him transition to Moses the extraordinary, okay? Moses the ordinary to Moses the, ex the, the extraordinary. Now, statement about that quickly. We as parents um, like to tell our kids they're extraordinary, don't we? Come on, if you have kids, you're like, my kid, come on. Yeah? My grandkid, right? Come on, I, you know it. All right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut a little bit of a line here because um, created in the image of God, and who's created in the image of God? Every human. Every human alive. Whether they know Jesus, whether they're in Christ, whether they're not in Christ, they are created in the image of God, and so they have the fingerprint of the creator on them. Okay? That makes them extraordinary. Now, when we are not filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, when King Jesus does not reside in us, we are relatively ordinary. So there's a little bit of a misnomer, I think, sometimes as parents, because we want to tell our kids, you're amazing and you can do anything you want, and you're extraordinary. And those things are true insofar as we, our kids, uh, have the fingerprint of God on them. But they are not true insofar as you can do anything you want and be anything you want apart from the supernatural infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? I actually think we make a little bit of a mistake, and we probably create a disaster for our kids when we go, you can be anything you want, you can do anything you want, you're the smartest, most, you're going to be, you know, it, it sets them up almost to not acknowledge their ordinariness. I am ordinary. We are Ordinary. We have the fingerprints of an extraordinary creator on us, and when he comes and fills us and takes residence, when he takes up residence inside of us, he takes the ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. That's the goal of the Christian life. Yeah? Okay, let's dig in. Verse uh, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So Moses got married to Jethro's oldest daughter, uh, Zipporah. He's hanging out in the desert for 40 years. He's 80. Is anybody in here 80? Come on. Jane, are you 80 really? 
he is 80, and Moses does not get the call to ministry until he's 80. If you're older in here and you're going, I think God's done with me, you may need to think again, Jane. You may need to go, okay, hold on a second. I might have this thing all wrong. It may be that God has absolutely supernatural things ahead for you. Moses didn't even get the call. When Moses was young and strapping and 40 years old and thought he was God's gift to the Israelites and God's gift to the Egyptians and God's gift to everybody he talked to, what did God do? Sent his hide to the desert for 40 years and said, hang out with some stinky sheep. And when you're done cooking, when you have been fully marinated and fully humbled and you're now pliable and I can actually make you and shape you, I will come and visit you. And until then, sit out in the desert and bake, you arrogant young man. That's my, uh, my addition. But I'm pretty sure that's what happened here. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. How do you train a shepherd? How do you train a leader of Israel? Send them out and make them tend somebody else's sheep. 80 years old and he doesn't even have his own sheep. He spent his whole life tending somebody else's sheep. He led the flocks to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, let's stop there for just a minute. Uh, does your, anybody's Bible in the room have angel of the Lord and a Lord is capitalized all the way? L-O-R-D, capitalized, yeah? A couple people? So I'm not going to dig too deep into this, but I, I want you to see a couple of things. Um, this is the introduction of Yahweh God, which we're going to see in just a minute. But the way that is written, um, and then the way you understand sort of the Old Testament revelation of God, you can almost say with certainty, uh, this is Jesus speaking. This is a pre-incarnate uh, King Jesus speaking to Moses. So what's absolutely uh, beautiful to me is uh, if this is a pre-incarnate Jesus, who is God, is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is God the Father God? Yes. Good. Man, y'all's theology is sharp as a tack. Come on. Okay. So uh, Jesus um, speaks to Moses and prepares Moses to lead this great exodus. Moses leads the exodus, and then some few thousand years later, Jesus speaks again to Moses, and then Jesus leads the greatest exodus of all time. It's this beautiful, like, Hebrew circular thinking. It's just it's incredible. So there, uh, the Lord Jesus, I'm going to say, there the Lord Jesus appeared to him, Moses, in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. A bush. A bush. Y'all have any bushes at your house? They're pretty what? Ordinary. Ordinary. They get overgrown. Weeds grow in them. In the desert, sheep would nibble on them. Goats would nibble on them. Lizards would crawl in them. The sun would bake them. And yet, where does God choose to display his power and presence? There's hope for me. There's hope for Andy. Come on. 
God uses the ordinary to display the extraordinary. Moses is minding his own business, and I think what we're actually going to get into here is we're going to see an argument that Moses had with Jesus. And I suspect, if you're really honest with yourself, that you're actually going to see elements of an argument that you've probably had with Jesus. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him from within the flames of an ordinary bush. It would have been an acacia bush. They're all over Israel. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord, the Lord Jesus, saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Now let's pause here again. When did God call? All right, let's read it again. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look. So when did God call? Before? All right, so Moses is minding his own business. He's baking in the desert. He's drinking lots of water. His sheep stink. He stinks. He hadn't had a shower in who knows how long. He's walking through whatever, blah, blah, blah. He might be kicking the dust. He might be angry going, I can't believe I don't have my own sheep yet. This is lame. I've spent my whole life tending my father-in-law's sheep. This stinks. I thought I was this great young man, and I had great purpose and destiny ahead of me, and yet here I am, and I'm out in this stinking wasteland. Wouldn't surprise me if that's what's going on in Moses' mind. It might be going on in your mind this morning. Where has God left me? And what God does is there's a bush, an ordinary bush that's ignited with fire up on this mountain, and Moses is minding his own business, and what's he see? the bush. And then what's it say? He turns aside. He goes to look. Now, when did God speak? Before or after he turned aside? After. What if Moses didn't turn? What if Moses saw that bush and went, he was too bitter. He was too disappointed. Life stinks. I've given up. I don't have any purpose. I'm tending these silly sheep. What if he didn't turn aside? We don't know what would have happened, but he may have missed the very call of God. There are strategic moments and points in every single one of our lives, and when one of those things lights up with the very power and presence of the Lord Jesus, you had best turn aside. Now, in the scheme of things, I'm saying God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, there is free will that he has given us to exercise. When he appears turn aside. And I've got news for you. He will appear in your life in the most ordinary, mundane, silly ways that most people want to overlook and disregard and say, no, that couldn't be God and move on. And people miss the very spirit and power and presence and purpose of God in their life because they can't see him in the ordinary. God is not interested in the high and mighty. Go back to where we started. But God chose the Foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. King Jesus is the type of king. God Almighty is the type of God. The Holy Spirit is the type of God that will have no other God before him. 
And to the extent that you want to exalt yourself or your thing or your idea or your agenda or your business or your whatever you fill in the bank, he will not have it. And when you reach the point of lowliness, I can just almost imagine the conversation between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit watching Moses. So you can imagine them conversing in eternity past, looking at Moses and Moses' heart preparation, and then looking over at Egypt and where the people of God are in their heart preparation, and in the fullness of time they go, now, light that bush up. And the ordinary becomes the extraordinary. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And look at Moses' response. What's he say? Let's say it together. Here I am. That's the only response before a holy God. Here I am. Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Right before Jesus went and died on that hill called Golgotha or Calvary, he sat in an upper room with a group of guys. Remember the last thing he did? And what did they have to do? Take off your There is something, there is something here about our willingness, and it's Moses, it's almost a final act of total humility and submission, where he obeys God and takes off his shoes, his sandals. I should have worn my flip-flops. Now, remember, Moses is a stranger in a strange land, Yeah. When you go into a, um, a tent or a home um, in this culture, what do you do? Take off your shoes. Now, Moses has been a stranger, and he's been a wanderer, and he's not had a home. I love this. I love this. Because what God says, I think it's like multiple meanings here, but the first thing God says is take off your shoes because it's holy ground. It's a final act of surrender and submission to him. But then I also think you've got Papa God through the heart of Jesus saying here, you are home. My son, come home. See, when you come home, you take off your shoes. So it's this like tender Uh, intimate moment. And I don't even know that Moses could fully comprehend, but he's been a wanderer in a strange land, wandering about with no home. And suddenly you have uh, the God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth saying, take off your shoes and come home. Come home. And then he's going to call Moses to lead all the people back in Egypt. Where? Home. Yeah. I'll put my shoes back on now. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Without going too deep on this, uh, Jacob's name meant swindler. Jacob was a cheat. You know that? 
I could say several things about Isaac. We could talk about Abraham. Abraham acted crazy and called his wife his sister and did some really weird things we could talk about. Same, I could talk about Isaac too. He had a favorite kid and a favorite wife and he made a mess in his own personal marriage and life. You believe that? And God identifies himself here as the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now listen to me. This is not a God who is interested in those who are perfect or who have it all together, who have everything slick and shiny and polished. No, no, no. This is the God who is interested in people who reach a point where they go, I am uh, going to live a life of full surrender. King Jesus, come and take it all. And when someone is willing to do that, this God will actually identify himself as them, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I mean, it is such a beautiful picture of his heart. This is the God, we, you could insert your name here. This is the God of Dwayne. This is the God of Susan. This is the God of Susie. This is the God of Bill. When we give our heart to him and he comes in and lives in us, he then identifies us with him and we're identified in him. He's not afraid then to say, this is the God of. We'll come back to that. I am the God of uh, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this point, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Very appropriate. <clears throat> now, verse 7. The Lord introduces uh, sort of himself. Let's look at that. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Are there people in Egypt saying God doesn't care about us? Yeah, absolutely. Are they saying God's forgotten us? Yes. Are they saying God's let this go on for 430 years? This is crazy. He's probably not even God. Yes. Do we do that in our own lives? Make application. I have heard them crying out. Does God hear? Some of you might need to take note. Are you crying out for something right now? Maybe. Perhaps there's something you need to cry out for that you're not. But he's the God who hears. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, Moses as the 40-year-old thought he could do what? Set them all free. Moses, as the 40-year-old, saw the Egyptian who was hurting the Israelite, and what did he do? Killed him. Buried him in the... Okay, so Moses, knowing that he is called and commissioned by God to lead these people to freedom, does it in his own strength, the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's the wrong thing all the way around, but he has a right heart, I think. And then all of a sudden, God is actually saying, I see their suffering. I see what's going on. I see the hardship. I see that they're being hurt and mistreated and abused, and I want you to go deliver them. And let's see what Moses says in verse 11. But Moses said to God, argument number one, here we go. Now, I want you to pay attention to Moses' self-talk, and then I want you to make application to your own self-talk. Let me me dig there for just a second. Um, How many of you talk negative to yourself? How many of you go, oh, I'm no good, or I'm worthless, or I can't believe I said, I mean, come on. I, I um, I was in my backyard mowing my grass yesterday afternoon, and um 
when we bought the house that we're in, the backyard was like a big jungle. So we had to cut all these trees down and grind stumps. And I've been moving dirt around. And it's, a, it's an absolute disaster, total disaster. And I'm frustrated with my backyard. And, and guess what? I'm a landscaper by trade, by the way. <laughs> but my guys are all busy, and I, I can't find a minute to do my backyard. And so I'm frustrated and disappointed with where my backyard is. Well, my neighbor peeks over the fence, and he goes, hey, man, your backyard is looking so good. Guess what I said? Oh, I can't. I mean, man, I'm so disappointed. It looks absolutely... I mean, I, and, and I literally, this, this point was echoing in my head. The moment it rolled off my tongue, I thought, Mattis, pay attention to your self-talk. <laughs> listen to me, church. When you, if you will begin to listen what you're saying to other people and listen to what you're saying to yourself, you will begin to find out where your own heart is. And, and the way you even think of yourself under heaven. And we're going, to, we're going to get into something here about Moses' initial pride as a 40-year-old, and then Moses' absolute abject, like, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely worthless as an 80-year-old, and we're going to see if we can find the pendulum swing there, okay? So let's, keep, let's go. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So what's his first argument? I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. Why would you send me? Now, what was he saying at 40? Oh, I'm a somebody. I am God's gift. Come on. I can lead these people out. Come on. I'm Egyptian. Now he's going, I'm a nobody. Let me read a poem because I'm going to introduce it like this. I think it'll help you. It's a guy named James Thompson. He's a Scottish poet. Ready? Okay. Once in a saintly passion, I cried with desperate grief. O Lord, my heart is black with guile. Of sinners, I am chief. Then stooped my guardian angel and whispered from behind, Vanity, my little man. You're nothing of the kind. Moses at 40 was full of what? Pride, arrogance, vanity. Yeah, I can do it myself. Moses at 80 is full of what? I'm an absolute nobody. I am worthless. Why would you send me? And you have this pendulum. And I want to actually propose to you um, that the, uh, the other side of the coin from that pride that Moses exhibited at 40 is the absolute self-deprecating, like I am a worthless piece of junk and I ought to be thrown out that he's now exhibiting at 80. It's a pendulum. The appropriate place is to recognize that, yes, I'm a nobody, and God's looking for a nobody so that he can fill with his presence and make a... Somebody, because God wants to take the ordinary and make it the extraordinary. That is what he's looking for. So let's look at this. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Uh, God does not uh, give us the jobs we're fit for. He fits us for the jobs he gives us. God doesn't give us the jobs we're fit for, lest none of us would do anything. He fits us for the jobs he gives us. If God's called you, he will equip you. So Moses immediately starts arguing with God. I would say this is full argument. He's standing before a what? 
a burning bush. Like, this is crazy. God is speaking to him from a bush. He's taken off his, his flip-flops. He's standing there in front of this bush. God Almighty is speaking to him, and he starts arguing with God. Who am I? I'm a nobody. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent uh, you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses does what? Argues again. Let's see what he says. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? Now, has God already introduced himself? Yeah, the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's right. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, fast forward, this is a whole other series we'll do at some point, but Jesus in the book of John says, makes these seven or eight statements, depending on how you look at it. Anybody remember one of them? Yep, that's good. That's one. Anybody remember another one? I am the door. I am the, the way. Yep. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. He makes seven or eight of these statements, depending on how you look at it. And he's actually piggybacking on what God said here. So what's, what's um, absolutely transformational at this moment is the gods of the Egyptians um, are, 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 are multifaceted. So there is not one god. They serve like thousands of gods. So there's a god over everything, right? So what's, what's transformational here is this is the god who is, and he said, I am. So I'm just going to drop this in because I... I I think it could be helpful. Um, if you're afraid, you can pray to the God who is courage. I am courage. If you're lonely, you can pray to the God who uh, brings connection. I am connection. It's, it's a, um, in some ways, as you live this Christian life, it's almost like a blank check in your journey with Jesus. This is the God who is. I am, what do you need today? What do you need today? Comfort. Pray to the God of, I am comfort, I am connection, I am healing, I am power, I am courage, I am, this is the God who is. This is the God who is. This is what you are saying to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I have uh, promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Now this is God talking to him. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any uh, woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and clothing, um, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. So God's saying, I'm not only going to deliver them, but when you go, you're going to absolutely plunder and take everything they've got. All right, chapter 4. 
Moses answered. Now this is argument number three. All right, what was the first one? I'm a nobody. Second one, I don't know your name. Third one, let's see what it is. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Now let's talk about this for just a minute. Who commissioned... um, Mm, all right, let's go, let's go a little deeper here. How do the people know that God actually commissioned Moses? Did you ever think of that? I mean, this shepherd just showed up and said, I'm going to lead you all to freedom. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. But how did the people actually know? You see what I'm saying? It's like, how do you know that God actually called this guy? Tony and I are hanging out, making bricks, doing our thing, whatever, you know, being enslaved in Egypt, and up walks this funny guy with a big beard and said, I'm going to lead you to the promised land. We're like, yeah, right. Beat it. So Moses, so God said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. Now, a shepherd would have had a rod and a staff. Um, The staff would have been used for the sheep. We see it with a crook on the end. It's to grab a sheep, to pull them back, to protect the sheep. Um, It's all about the sheep. Now, the rod um, is, or the staff, excuse me, um, is, uh, the the rod would have been for the sheep, excuse me. The staff um, is actually for the enemies of the sheep. So the staff is what they would have called a cudgel, and it's actually a, a little bit like this. It's got a ball on the end, and it's a long thing. It's actually a weapon. Now, who's the weapon for? The enemies. The enemies, anybody coming against the sheep. So Moses, he says, Moses, uh, take your staff and throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a, a snake. Oh my goodness. And what did Moses do? He's like my Abby. Boom, gone. <laughs> Moses is like, come back. God's like, come back. <laughs> Verse four, then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Moses has to reach out his hand, so he takes this cudgel with a, you know, with a round ball on the end. It's, his, it's this staff. He throws it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And then God says, take, the snake, or take this thing by the tail, and what's it become? A staff. It becomes a staff again. This is supposed to be a sign to the Israelites that Moses is actually sent by God. So it turns back into a staff. Verse 5, um, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then verse 6, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. Moses put his hands inside of his cloak, and he pulls it out, and his skin was leprous. So he's got leprosy, which is like your fingers fall off and your nose fall. I mean, it's a horrible skin disease. It actually would, you know, would kill you. And it became as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So this is God talking to Moses. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. Um, excuse me, verse 8. The Lord said, uh, if they... Oh, that was right. Thank you. <laughs> it put it uh, back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe, so the first miracle is throw the staff on the ground, and it becomes a snake. Second one is, I'm actually going to inflict you with leprosy, and then heal you. Boom. Um, and then, uh, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the ground will become um, like blood. Now, I want you to notice something about um, the Lord here. So important. Um, these are all miracles of destruction. We tend to think of God as the God who gives all life. Is that true? Yes. yes. But he's the God of the beginning, and he's the God of the end. 
These are, these are miracles that are specifically for his enemy. And I don't know if you remember the first week, but we said that uh, Pharaoh in this story is a picture of Satan. So, so the miracles that God is doing in this place is to prove to the people of God that he is God and, and, and Moses was indeed called by him, but it's also to prove to Pharaoh that God has sent him and God's going to deliver the people out. So these are destructive miracles. <clears throat> Fascinating. Uh, verse 10, this is Moses' fourth argument. So let's recap real quick. First one was, I'm a nobody. Second one is, I don't know your name. Third one is, they won't believe me. Then the fourth one, here we go. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, uh, nor since uh, you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Acts 7.22, here's what it says. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in speech. What did 40 years in the desert do to Moses? Broke him down, didn't it? Broke him down. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf and mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Verse 13, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Here's his fifth argument. I think, this is the, I think this is the argument. I think the rest of them are kind of fluff. I think this is the one. I don't want to do it. I'm not going. This reminds me of my little Amelia. Sweetie, blah, 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 will you go? No. We all got that in us. We've all got that in us. Pardon your servant. Isn't that nice that he's so sweet and like, you know, culturally correct? Pardon your servant. Send someone else. No. Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Is it possible to so reject your call and commission and where God has sent you that the Lord's anger burns against you? Say yes. Yes. I'll tell you the story sometime about us planning this church again. I drug my feet for several years until the Lord's anger burned against me. I said, plant the church. I said, okay. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? He can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it as well. Now, did, did God um, intend Moses to be the one that spoke? You've got to get this, church. This is really important. Did God intend Moses to be the one that spoke? Yes. Did Moses lose that privilege? Yes. Is it possible to lose the calling and commissioning that God has on our lives as believers? Yes. I'm not wrestling with the sovereignty of God. God knew in the end that Moses would have this big fuss with him and he knew that Aaron would speak. Okay, that's the sovereignty of God. But there's freedom and fluidity within the sovereignty of God. And the great danger is that we dally around and we wrestle with God and we get caught up in whether it's buying the new thing or being like so-and-so or dressing this way or acting that way. We, we get caught up in all the things that do not matter and we absolutely miss the very essence and calling of God in our lives. 
There's a like warning here to me in neon lights. Do not miss the very call that God has for you. Can you miss the best that he has for you in life? Yes. Can you miss the best in your singleness? Yes. Can you miss the best in your marriage? Yes. Can you miss the best with your kids? Yes. This is not like a tightrope that you're like, oh, I got to perform. No, 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 no. This is about inclining the ears of your heart to King Jesus and going, Lord Jesus, would you help me in the journey? Would you help me in the way? Because you are the author, you are the finisher, you're the beginning, you're the end, and you are the only one who can do this thing. I have a five-year journal you hear me talk about, and you could flip through those pages, and I'm frequently both inquiring of the Lord and going, Lord, don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss it. Have mercy on me, O oh God. You are never going to feel as confident as you want to feel, church. Just not going to happen. The world, the flesh, the devil is always going to fill your brain with negative thoughts. The enemy will always come and tell you that your identity is not what it is. Listen to me. The church, uh, the church, Satan would like nothing more than for you to take on a persona or an identity that is not the identity that he's given you. You can only find your identity before God when you, are, when you know him. And as you know him, guess who else you know? Yourself. And then it's in that place when you have gained that identity of who he is and you're gaining identity of who you are that you can then fulfill the very call of God on your life. The enemy is lying to us as Christians, whether you're a Christian here or you're a non-Christian, every single day trying to train wreck the future that God has for you. The enemy would like nothing more than to destroy your life, your singleness, your marriage, your job, your sexuality. The enemy wants to train wreck your finances, your personal integrity, your purity, your holiness. He is about absolutely destroying you, and he came to steal and to kill and destroy, and all of heaven comes together to help you in this journey, and then the choice is whose? Mine and yours. Not just today, but tomorrow. And when I read this passage about Moses arguing with God, not once, not twice, but five times, it reminds me of my own heart on all too many days. You might be in here this morning and you go, Michael, you don't know me. I'm just an ordinary acacia bush. I got news for you. God's in the business of taking the ordinary and using it for the extraordinary. God wants to actually fill you and burn inside of you and blaze inside of you like that little acacia bush. And that bush actually becomes a picture of Moses. And that bush actually becomes a picture of the nation of Israel. And that bush actually becomes a picture of King Jesus who comes in the form of a little baby goes to a cross and dies and the infilling power of God burns and then that bush becomes a picture of the church now who's the church if you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you you're the church God wants to take the ordinary and use it for the extraordinary let's stand